What's up, dancers and dance lovers? This is Inside Dance with Taylor and Alex. I'm Taylor Bradley. And I'm Alex Yankovich. We host an open conversation about the dance entertainment industry, striving to educate and inspire. Brought to you by Inside Dance Magazine. Find us on social media at Inside Dance Podcast. Or write to us at InsideDancePodcast at gmail.com. Let's Let's take take it from from the the top. top. Welcome, 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 <laughs> welcome to Illyria. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Do you know what that's from? I have no idea, but you've really, you've really uh, piqued my interest here and started us with a stellar intro. So <laughs> why don't you go ahead and explain what that's from? It's from She's the Man. And um, it's oh, such a, a good movie, such a good movie. And the principal's like, we just wanted to say welcome. And he goes, welcome, 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 welcome to Illyria. <laughs> So I thought it was fitting, even though Absolutely. it has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. I feel like it's fitting because it actually does not relate in the slightest, aside from exactly. welcome, everyone. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. Hello. 100%. And welcome to your um, pop culture in the know hosts of Inside Dance Podcast. With that is Alex. us. <laughs> your hosts, Taylor and Alex. Alpal, how are you doing? I'm doing so well. I finally feel like I've come up for air over the last like yeah you've been doing it all however many weeks so um it's been it's been really good how are you doing i'm good i'm good i'm like trying not to melt i feel like half of the country right now is at like an all-time temperature high or i don't know i was listening on the radio and they were like the power grid of texas and i was like oh shoot you know when texas is in trouble yeah (laughs) yeah let's go so i'm trying not to melt but otherwise good yeah it's just I don't know. Things are, things always like chug along so quickly um, for like summertime here it's in Vegas, wild. just between like so many more people and shows. Um, and I know we've had um, a handful of like dance nationals in town. So lots of young dance faces in the audience, which is nice, but we'll dive into that yes. in just a little bit. Um, but do you want to give a little heads up as to who our fabulous guest is for this? Yes. Week? Our incredible guest. You all are going to love this interview. It's with the amazing Allie Phillips, who is not only a dance business coach, but also the founder of Bust a Move Dance, uh, which is a company that offers dance classes for people with disabilities, both in person and online on demand. Uh, Ali had so much to share with us. It really could have been like a three hour interview. So we'll hopefully be able to have Ali back because there was just so much. I learned so much on this episode and I feel like I learned, I learned every time, but this was just a really amazing conversation to have. And for us to start having between our friends, our peers, our bosses, it was just really amazing. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, definitely. We just the tip of the iceberg about like inclusion in the dance community, um, as well as like teaching methods, like from a teaching standpoint, yeah. and really diving into a lot of those um, important, important conversation topics that, I, that like you said, Al, I don't think um, are being talked about enough. So, yeah. And she's just awesome and has a super fun Aussie accent. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, anyone with accents, I'm like, just keep talking all day. So I know. I feel so boring. What whenever... do you think people like <laughs> foreigners, what do they think about American accents? Like, So I've asked this before <laughs> <laughs> and they say we sound like rah, 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 rah. cool. That's what and I was I'm going like, for. I love that. I'm so happy that that's our impression. <laughs> well, it's like there's like a million different British dialects, but for us, we're like, you're all just British. And they're like, no, Cockney, the Queen's Liverpool. English proper. I'm like, no, you're British. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I feel like Liverpool accent, I can tell, I can tell the difference of. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I wish I had one. And also I cannot do the, I was thinking about this or no, I was talking to someone about this the other day. I can't do impressions. Like I can't do other accents. The only thing I can do is an impression of Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. And that is, Yo, that is as far that's a as resume the topper. impressions go. Like I try to do accents. I'm like, this is terrible. But like, I can go into Stitch voice, no, no pee. And I'm like, this is great. <laughs> I love that. I also love that you just said no pee. That's great. Uh, I, it came up. up the top, it top worked though. You committed. <laughs> um, yeah. My, just one last thing on um, accents, which are again, completely unrelated to our topic today. <laughs> I always find myself like, casually talking in British accents around British people. And I'm always like, oh, so, like, yes. how's it going top of the day to you? And then I'm like, oh, wait, sorry. Uh, I don't know. So yeah, that's aluminium. Yeah. <laughs> that's oh my gosh. Okay. Well, if you're still listening, thanks for, um, thanks for hanging in there. Um, and we've missed you. Let's, let's start off with that. Um, it's been, like I said, a super crazy few weeks uh, for both Alex and I just kind of being in the heat of it, pun intended, mm-hmm. of um, nationals and traveling and teaching and summer intensives. So yeah, we've missed you guys um, and hope that you've been well. But Alex, why don't you start us off what you've been everywhere? Yeah. Literally, I saw you two days ago in this I room. Um, and yeah, everything from nationals to celebrity to Vegas. Just give us a little quick synopsis there. Yeah. Well, as soon as I wrapped up the opera, I had to head to Phoenix to set uh, an opening number for a celebrity, which was so much fun. And then like immediately after that, I had to do this uh, music video. Stay tuned for that. Um, it was, it turned out so wonderful. And um, so I was dealing with that. And like, I literally wrapped that on a Wednesday night and then drove to Anaheim for Celebrity, you know, the next morning. So it was a wild um, couple of days, but Celebrity was so much fun. It was, I technically like, I was there teaching on convention and I only judged a couple numbers. And I actually think I only judged some solos. I didn't see like one group. So it was kind of like an easy, it was a nice little Uh, moment for me but convention just nothing makes me happier like it's just it's one of my favorite things I I love seeing all the students grow and a lot of my classes ended up being um, scholarship audition classes which definitely adds like a level of like oh I need to get this done so I can watch them dance but it was so it was so much fun and then straight out of that I went to go help out at dance awards which is where I saw you so it's been a wild wild couple of days it was so good to see you and dance awards yeah. is just you know i know i i sh- i don't want to say i should be more into football but like i get football like, i get the hype but like the dance awards like solo competition that's my super bowl that was like out of this world watch. it was it was really just cool to be in the room and like see everyone no matter what studio like cheering people on and being like dumbfounded by the things that the students were doing it was amazing Yeah, no, I can echo that. Absolutely. Like, I feel I've had the opportunity to work with Break the Floor and the Dance Awards the past four or five years since they've been in Vegas. I always end up um, working a little bit at the gala, which is always just like, like you said, dumbfounded is a great word because I'm literally in awe at the talent that these kids have and the caliber that they're working at. Kids, I shouldn't even say kids, artists, young adults. And it's, it is so cool to see the evolution of what dance conventions, what nationals, and all of that has become um, over the years. Um, not to not to date myself, but I was um, at the very first dance awards uh, in New York City. Um, oh my god! Yeah, it was good times, and it was it was intense, but it was um, you know nothing. I feel like to to what the kids are. I, 
again, to what these young artists are whipping yeah. out today. Um, just, just so inspiring, so beautiful. Um, and there, yeah. There's something I really noticed like the past week and a half. Um, so at Celebrity, all the faculty, we have to perform a solo and like Body Traffic performed and Amazing. it was so cool to see. And like this loops in with Dance Awards as well like the young talent and everything they're doing, but then also seeing my peers, my faculty, mm -hmm. like fellow faculty also perform in all different styles. You know, we, that technically, you know, conventions, they need someone for each style. So we had the jazz, the musical theater, the contemporary, the ballet, the hip hop, the jazz funk, and to see each of my peers like perform their craft so well. And then to also watch body traffic perform and also see how these kids are, these kids, now we're like I'm totally stuck on I know, I feel thing. like I'm on my rocking chair. I'm like, these kids, these guys. These young artists, what they're learning as well. It was such a cool, full 360 moment where I was like, there is room for all of us. We all bring something different to the table and our different ages and levels also have things to bring to the table. Like, it, it's not that vibe anymore where it's like, you hit 30 and you're done dancing. It's so no. evolved. And I have enjoyed seeing the evolution. I think it's really great to enjoy like the certain pockets of your level when you're in them and sort of like embrace that, that length and that change because there's a place for everyone, no matter what your, uh, what age you are. And it, it was just really yeah. cool, cool to sort of see that 360 and even, you know, watching so many of the teachers too, at, uh, like Shannon Mather and all those teachers in their classes at convention. It was just really, it made me just love dance even more. Um, even though, you know, had to take a little breather from. Yeah. 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 It doesn't matter if you love dance. Also yeah, wellness. Take a breather. Yeah. No, wellness for sure. You bring up a great point though. And it's something that I'm so glad that I'm seeing more of lately is dancers, not only longevity, um, but like dancers, teachers on faculty performing. And I think it's really important aspect to any dance educator to be able to demonstrate, to be able to show, um, to lead by example. You know, I know there's a, like that stigma, that like joke of like the Russian ballet teacher teaching from a stool and like, that's great and cool and exciting, but I feel like there's such an earned respect. That's so beautiful for any young dancer that can watch someone regardless of their age, if they're 16, if they're 18, if they're 20, if they're 30, um, to be able to dance is so, or sorry, to be able to um, kind of flex that muscle and, yeah. and show your students and lead by example, like, hey, not only is this the way that my artistry works and this is the way that I express myself, but also I'm doing it still because I'm taking care of myself. And I think that is such a, a good, a good um, idea to instilling kids and some it's it's really hard to do that unless you're able to perform and yes i and think I, it's i ahead. fully believe that students see you and they're like wait i want to do that like it it and not to do everything for their respect but like it adds to how they feel about you and how they how they work harder in class. Like if they see the teacher killing it, they're like, wait, I just want to do it like that too. Totally. So and I think there's also her. like a shifting, shifting level that as you get older of a willingness or desire to perform for your peers, like let's take the, the, the timeline all the way back when you're six and you're like gathering the family in your living room to watch you, you know, put on your performances. And then as you're like a young dancer and 
you know, all levels of passion, of competitiveness. Like we all know there's that one person like practicing their fuete turns in the middle of the wood floor at convention. You're like, okay, we get it. You can, you know, you don't need to like show off in that regard. But obviously that's a stage and a time of your life. And then you kind of grow into this maturity of um, dancing and performing and wanting to bring that craft to other people. And so this is a long-winded way of me saying that sometimes later in your dance career life, it almost is like, oh, no, you're fine. Oh, no, I won't perform. No, it's okay. Like, you don't need, like, almost feels like a a nuisance or like silly to perform for your peers. But I think it's so, so important to be like, lead by example, to share that craft and and to to have that level of um, appropriateness to share and express your art with those other people that are in your industry, those other leaders, those other educators, I think it's, it's really important. So absolutely. Um, I don't know if, 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 if that made sense, I'm like figuring out in my brain what I'm trying no. to say as I'm saying it. it. So perfect sense. thanks for your patience, everyone. But yeah. Um, well, that's wonderful that you've been busy, that you've had a moment to breathe and um, right here, same thing back at you, you know, it's, yeah. it's booked and blessed and happy to be performing for nice full audiences um, yeah. here in Las Vegas. So and most importantly, just happy to see your face whenever I can. So always, Yay. we're yeah. doing it. We're doing it. Um, should we flick, flick, shimmy, slide right on over to our interview with Miss Allie Phillips? Let's do it, guys. Let's Stick around. It. Welcome, everyone. Please give an amazing welcome. To- the incredible Allie Phillips. Allie, how are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. Of course. Tell us where you're joining us from. <laughs> so I'm in no Toronto. One, no one, yeah. yeah, it's confusing because I do have an Australian accent, but I live in Toronto, Canada. <laughs> Amazing. We love that. And um, Toronto is, I feel like the with, with the amount of Canadians that we've had on, you, you think I would understand Canadian ge- geography at this point? I still don't. So Toronto is East Coast. Yeah, correct, geography North is hard. Geography is hard. It's really hard. So yes, it's East Coast. So it's just above New York City. I was just about to say, that's the only way I kind of keep it together. So Toronto, <laughs> New York yeah. City, Vancouver. Well, uh, California, Van- yes. California, Vancouver, New York, Toronto. That's kind of how I see them. I'm like trying to explain geography to you and I'm doing a terrible job. Oh, it's too hard. <laughs> Geography's too hard. Let's leave that. Let's, let's leave that else. and let's move forward, <laughs> Ali. Um, I, I, I know that we connected because um, of social media, which we're so, so grateful for you. And we love any feedback, any communication that we have with any of our listeners. Um, but we know that you slid on into our DMs and we're so happy to have you on. Why don't you get mm-hmm. us started with where you are from originally and how you got involved with dancing? Yes, I love it. Okay, so I'm Ali and I was born in Brisbane, Australia. I'm 30 years old and I've been a dancer since I was two. So some dancers start a little bit later. I'm one of those dancers that started pretty much as soon as I came out of the womb. Uh just I was outspoken as a child I was super confident I was really overly performative some would say way too much uh and I just channeled that energy into this passion of dance and joined a dance studio really really early on and that studio was my second home 
I know a lot of dancers, their studio wasn't that for them. And so, you know, speaking to other dancers now as a coach, I just am beyond, like beyond grateful for the experience that I had growing up as a dancer. My studio was safe. My dance teacher was like my idol, like my absolute idol. I just was so in love with her. My best friends you know, were dancers with me. And I, you know, my dance studio was a second home. It was parallel to my schooling. And it was this place that I felt the safest and where I could really exercise my my confidence, uh, especially in high school where things were a little bit trickier for me. I think everyone goes through a weird stage in high school. I think some people have more of an intense, uh, really tricky time in high school. I just was a little bit different. I didn't want to follow the straight and narrow. And so my dance studio gave me the opportunity to be myself, uh, but also explore really natural leadership abilities that I had. Um, and that's kind of you know, when I was 17, that's when I started my dance business. And I'm sure we're going to get into that, but pretty much like I was a comp kid. Um, and I just loved it. And I just loved every style from jazz to contemporary to hip hop to I hated tap, but (laughs) (laughs) tap is love or hate. It is is a very polarized, um, genre. It is. (laughs) is. It's so good when it's like professional amateur tap, Uh, like, yeah, you bring up a great point there. (laughs) kills me like I can't even but yeah so you know I I think some people start dance businesses a little bit later I was 17 when I started Ryan and uh that's kind of where my journey's gone since then you bring up such a good point about studio uh sort of environment because I find that dancers uh once you are past the age of 18 you're constantly you either had an amazing experience like you did or you're constantly undoing all the patterns of toxicity that was maybe going on and it's it's exhausting and the workload gets put on you for that like you have to undo it yourself and it's it's really tough I think you know even being a professional for like 10 years now it's like I still am like oh my gosh I need to really backpedal on some of you know my habits that are in there so you're so lucky that you had you know such amazing teachers and that your teacher was your idol not your enemy 100%. I mean, let's be real. I'm still unlearning stuff, right? It just wasn't, you know, you, the, you get, just because your cult studio culture is maybe safer than others, there's still the rest of the dance industry too. So you go to competitions and even though your teacher is telling you you're great, there's still stuff around. You pick it up energetically. So I'm still, you know, working through the need to prove and the need to be competitive, the need to be the best, the need to be the top of the pyramid all the freaking time. And uh, that conditioning and that unlearning, I don't think will ever go away. I am just grateful and lucky that I probably didn't have it as bad as other dance in the industry. I want to see if you are, if I'm wrong on this. So you said you started your business when you were 17. Mm-hmm. I feel like everyone should start it when they're 17 because you have way less reservations at that right. age. You're just like fearless. You have no- yeah, no. no fear. And now I'd be like, oh my God, no, what? I'm going to do all of these things wrong. And I think totally. when you're 17, you're like, you have this amazing confidence. We're like, yeah, I can do it. So I think that probably helped you. Yes or no? Yes. And always it's a yes. And it's like similar to the uh, dance studio culture. It's either like you're unlearning or you had a great 
kind of in uh, upbringing, similar to starting a business really young, there is a level of like flippancy and like, oh, let's just go with the flow. Right. And you also don't know shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's I'm still at that point, to be honest. I'm still <laughs> figuring it out. Yeah. I love that for you. And I am too. <laughs> I put my hand up as well. But I think there was a level of let's just go for it. But then you make crazy mistakes that if I started a business at this age, I probably wouldn't make. So it's a yes and absolutely. Beautiful. Well, I want to let's let's. Um, dive in more to this business. Um, what is your business first and foremost? Um, yep. And where did you find inspiration to start this? I love it. So I run a dance company called Buster Move Dance or BAM or BAM Dance, whatever you want to call it. And we run dance classes for people with disabilities. So predominantly cognitive disabilities, Down syndrome, autism on the spectrum, intellectual, physical, less so, but we're we try and um, include whoever wants to come. And you know what? I didn't actually have the inspiration to start it myself. I was invited. And one of the, actually the questions that you asked me to consider coming on here is like, why did I choose to become a dance coach? Everything that I've done in my life has been something that's fallen into my lap, whether it's an invitation or just a, a feeling. It hasn't been a conscious choice. And then when you look back, you go, ah, oh, I was just like set up for this. And so similar, my sister, she had an interest in special needs and she had a community center that once a month, there was a dance party and a whole bunch of people with disabilities came to this dance party and I volunteered. And because I'd already taught a little bit at my studio, she asked me if I wanted to start a structured dance class for some of the people that came to this dance party. And I was like, whatever. I was so like, I was on like, I'm going to be Beyonce backup dancer vibes. I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to do this. Anyway, I said yes to it. And uh, I remember scrolling down my iTunes list and finding the song Buster Move by Run DMC and was like, oh, that oh sounds gosh. like a fun song. And I called it Buster Move Dance. And it was in a community center that we still back in Brisbane, Australia, still run classes 14 years later out of. And it was one of those things where it was just so divine. It was like, I'm really good at this. I really freaking love it. They love it. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I didn't even know. So I just went with the flow. Oh my gosh. That is, <laughs> is wild to me. And I feel like you've been reading my diary if I had one, <laughs> because I feel like you sometimes can't plan for those opportunities. You just have to sort of take them as they, as they come. And, um, I think that's incredible. And so uh, please educate me if I sound uneducated. I feel like uh, that is such a need for mm -hmm. people with disabilities to have this outlet to move their bodies and mm -hmm. to be um, in the space. Because I feel like we forget about the group as a whole, mm -hmm. right? And we forget that everybody needs to have like that physical movement and have that like cathartic right. relief. Right. And I feel like that's so amazing that you're able to bring that to everybody. And I feel yeah. like I, even as a teacher, I feel like I've never even considered mm. in the room, mm -hmm. you know, if someone has a disability, you know, I might say if, if you can have modifications here and there, but I feel like mm -hmm. I've never really taken the opportunity to address it, address it to everybody. Whole. I, yeah. you know, come at it with the perspective, like everyone's here to dance. Like let's give everybody, um, the hardest thing to do rather yeah. than 
options and movement. So I, we really want to dive into that today. And Taylor, if you have anything to add to that as well, but it's just, I find it so fascinating. And I knew today would speaking with you would sort of spark, mm-hmm. you know, this thing I've never really thought about. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the, yeah. it's the idea of inclusion and it's, it's, you don't realize that you're necessarily excluding until you zoom out of the big picture and you're like, Oh, again, just because it hasn't been a pattern in my life or a circumstance in my life where I've been around or involved with that mm-hmm. because of that, sometimes we get tunnel vision and just mm-hmm. focus on what we know and, um, they think that that's it. So I think yeah. that this is a wonderful, wonderful conversation for, um, for Alex and I, and I know for our listeners, but really anybody involved, not only in the dance business, but any business, you know, any, thinking any about, business, um, yeah. you know, broadening, uh, broadening your parameters to include, um, yeah. people of all different abilities, disabilities, um, and their, and everything under that umbrella. So absolutely. Um, there's a lot here. There's, there's so many like avenues that I could kind of go down. Um, and it's once again, it's a yes. And you can't make any mistakes if you're curious, like Uh there's no mistakes you can make if you Mm. genuinely want to learn and you are genuinely curious, um, about a topic. I think a couple of things. The first thing is I do believe just you know, first of all, I have to be really honest. I'm an able-bodied person. I'm not disabled. So I'm speaking mm-hmm. on behalf of a group of people who are not monolithic and who I don't have, um, it's not necessarily the right, is not the right word to use, but I'm very conscious of the position that I hold in this space as a non-disabled person speaking mm-hmm. on behalf of the community. And because I've had extensive experience and because I have permission and relationships with this group of students, I do feel like it's also my responsibility to speak to other non-disabled dancers and people in the industry. And I do think that disability gets pushed to the bottom of the barrel. It's like the too hard. It's like, I can't, like, it's just too much. And yeah, I think it's overwhelming. And a lot of people like us, it's almost like, there's this sense of embarrassment of like, oh my gosh, I've never thought about including um, exactly. disabled really. dancers, you know, cause we're so wrapped up in what yeah. we know, which is able-bodied dancing. So um, I, I feel like, again, that's any majority realizing that minority is being underserved. And then you kind of, it's, you want to tiptoe around it in the most politically correct way yeah. of speaking. So, but I think exactly what we're doing right now, talking about it is mm-hmm. the first step. So absolutely. And as three non-disabled people, I think it is really yes. important. I'm assuming your audience are majority non-disabled as well. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's also important to, to bring up. I do think once again, you can't like, it is messy. And I ask questions to my students that I'm genuinely curious about as well. And I think it's beautiful. So it's, it's amazing that this conversation is being surfaced and I hope that it's going to bring value to your community. There's, there's lots to kind of, to, to mention, like I said, I think disability gets pushed to the bottom of the barrel, but everything touches everything. Whereas where race intersects with disability, the intersects with gender, the intersects with age, it all kind of like compartmentalizes and kind of comes in into one. And what I will say is what I'm passionate about is the intersection of disability and dance, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is not a new phenomenon. When I started BAM, obviously it was 14 years ago and at the time there was not a lot that I knew of um, and I genuinely do still believe that there's still not a lot out there. What I will say within the dance and disability intersection is that there is 
um, a lot of dance therapy and has been for years. Okay. Yes. I want to make a very clear distinction um, that what I do is not dance therapy. And this is very, very important for me to communicate because there is a need. Um, uh, f- mm, what I will say is dance therapy brings one certain thing. Therapy, as it, it just as a term and as a, as a practice, relates to helping, caring, needing. It's much more clinical. It insinuates that we need to use this thing, i.e. dance, to almost like diagnose and to serve and to help a community. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. I do something very different, whereas we just dance. We use dance as this like main pillar and we learn from each other and we welcome everybody. It, I Yes, on the registration form, I need to know what disability you have. And I need to know, like, in case of emergency, what's going to happen. But I'm going to tell you right now, in 14 years, I can count on literally one, maybe two hands, how many incidences I have had around the the disability part, whereas it's an epileptic fit, fit or whether it's someone collapsing or something we dance. That's why it's called Buster Move Dance. Dance is at the core of it. And we we promote high quality choreography, high quality teaching and education. And I'm not here to help people with disabilities. We're just here to dance. So I want oh to make that gosh. distinction. That yeah. makes exact sense. That, that really is super, super clear distinction. And, and yeah, I can absolutely see exactly how those two are completely separated. Yeah. Um, and, and I, what also, I mm. no, 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 you go, you go. Well, what I will say is that what happens a lot in my experience is people will come to me, whether they want to be on my teaching staff or they want to do this themselves. And there's so many questions around like, how do I do this? It's too hard. I'll have to cross all these T's and dot all these I's. And I'm like, y'all are just confusing yourselves and you're making it way too hard. And this is why disability goes into the too hard basket. This is why it's like, oh, it's too hard. It doesn't have to be hard. If you want to run a dance class of people with disabilities, say you're going to run a dance class with disabilities and just freaking do it. The amount of people that have been like, how do you do it? I want to do it. And then just don't do it in the end. It's because they get in their own way and they make it about themselves as opposed to testing, tweaking, polishing, asking the communities, reaching out and asking what they need. Everyone just makes it way too much about themselves. Oh my gosh. It's so true though. Yeah. Yeah. I could even think like, in my experience, I'd like, I just make, oh, I'm uneducated about this. So I, I wouldn't be able to do it. And I need to like be certified to. What do you think you need? What what education do you think you need? What certification do you think you need? What is it that you don't have right now that you think you need in order to start a dance class? Exactly. Mind blowing to me. Yeah. And what were those three things that you said? You said testing, tweaking, polishing. polishing. It's not going to be perfect the first time. Just try it. It's amazing. That's like a solid life policy for literally anything. Again, it's that flippancy of youth that you're just like, well, I don't have anything to lose, so I'm just going to try it. And I think that there's there's something beautiful in that that we need to remind ourselves that that we're not going to be perfect. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't take a a jab at it best we can. But um, Ali, I want to know, was there a specific experience or um, initial... um, 
encounter time moment that you can think back of your career that you did work with um, someone or group people that were disabled that you were like, Ooh, I love this. This is super fulfilling. And I want to make a business out of this. Mm, yeah. The first class. <laughs> I, <just laughs> it. I was like, Oh, this is really fun. And it's really easy. I think that that's also the thing. Like people go, Oh my God, I don't know. It's what do I do? How do I do this? I guess it just came really naturally to me. I think I'm just a teacher, like at my Mm -hmm. core. Mm -hmm. And that's why I ask teachers, like, what do you think you need that you don't have right now? If you're a teacher and you identify as a teacher, then isn't that the most important thing? Like, what else do you think you need? So I think because I've just always been a teacher and I've just loved teaching so much and I care deeply for the art of teaching that I don't know. I just happened to teach people with disabilities. I'm a teacher. So I think it was the first class I ever taught that I was like, I love this. Obviously there have been amazing, you know, in, in my career, amazing moments where I'm like, wow. Like we went to, we went to Mexico. We took them to Mexico and ran some classes for a, um, a dance studio down there that wanted to start an inclusive arm. And they'd never, their families had never seen you know, their students dance before. And that was pretty fulfilling. You know, we were on So You Think You Can Dance and um, a, a part of uh, the National uh, Special Olympics World Games in 2015. That was freaking amazing. Like there are just, whenever I see the parents or I see the students pushing that boundary of their themselves, like it's so, it's obviously so fulfilling. Absolutely. You- I want to know, so, sorry, Alice, go ahead. No, I was going to ask a selfish, a selfish question. <laughs> well, here, I'm, I'm curious when it comes to um, uh, uh, bam, bust a move. I love that so much. Bam. Yeah, it's Um, perfection. Is there a specific uh, protocol or guideline or way that you um, juggle different levels of ability and disability or maybe having two, three, four different types of disabilities in one classroom? Is there different ways that you would address that? Um, Or is it kind of like a be intuitive, be a problem solver, and as we go, figure it out type situation? Yep, you figure it out, bro. What I will say is a lot of the teacher training that I do is less around the students and more about the teacher. Um, A lot of my training is based in unconscious bias. What is your assumption of disability? Where did that come from? For me, I grew up thinking people with disabilities were gross. They were really unhygienic. They couldn't handle themselves or they were highly medicated. They needed someone to hold their hand to do everything. I had a kid with, you know, ADHD in my class and he was always in a different lesson. He was highly aggressive. He needed medication. And so that's what I grew up thinking, right? And so I was not able to be the best teacher I could possibly be carrying that bias. We all have it. We just need to be accountable to it. And so Mm. in order to be able to hold space and safe dance space and make sure that every student is feeling encouraged and challenged and creative, it's less about them and more about, well, how do you view that student? What are you projecting onto them that you haven't looked at yourself? Um, And what is the work that you've done to be able to clear, to be accountable to your shit so that you can just hold safe space. Once again, that's the difference between a teacher making it all about themselves versus making it about the students. So I think the clearer that I am and the more accountable and responsible I am for my bias and my work and my conditioning and my trauma, the clearer the space that I have to hold multiple people. And I could teach 500 people with disabilities in one space and it would be fine. It doesn't, 
it doesn't matter because it's all right. about me. It's not about them. Right. And I, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said about looking inward, usually our, uh, perception of what's going on in the room and of other people is solely based on how we feel about it and what mm-hmm. is going on inside that almost is always the driving force. My selfish question for you is going to be for an able-bodied dancer, what's what's advice that you would give to an able-bodied dancer or teacher to make the classroom more inclusive for everyone without, mm-hmm. you know, assumptions, if that's, if that yeah. makes sense. Of course. Do your work. Be accountable to your bias. Mm-hmm. Think about the way, it, the, the, the lens and the paradigm in which you see the world. How were you brought up viewing disability, race, gender, age, size, culture, tradition, religion? Like wh- how are you being accountable to how you were raised and the lens in which you see the world? Um, be really reflective on on your lens, be curious about it, move through some of that bias so that you are walking in, not projecting all over students. That is like the number one to make classes more accessible. People ask me all the time, can you give me structure for the classes that I want to run with people with disabilities? What activities can you give them? That shit is, is irrelevant, irrelevant if you are carrying biases and you are projecting all the way onto your students. And that's what I see. Like people with dis- people, non-disabled dancers are patronizing and condescending. They are overly um, sensitive. They don't like one of, you know, a lot of my teachers in training struggle with having discipline or um, writing that authority versus empathy kind of balance mm, in a class. Yeah. It's like, I've got a teacher at the moment who's like, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, what is it about what assumption and story do you have that it's going to hurt their feelings? Whereas what is the benefit of creating authority, of making sure that there are boundaries and expectations? Don't you think that there's benefit to that too? Like it's all about how you were raised, how you, what, what your teacher inspired or didn't inspire in you. So it's all inner work in wow. my opinion. And you speak so you have uh, very clear words that are going to stick with me forever. Like this is it's truly um, it's truly mind blowing. Uh, I wanted to ask specifically, does um, BAM Dance, you have in-person and online classes? Mm-hmm. Yep. In Brisbane wow. and Toronto. So we've got in-person in Brisbane, online in Brisbane, in-person in, Bri- in Toronto, online in Toronto. And we have on demand. So during COVID, my partner and I filled a whole, I filmed a whole on-demand platform that's on our website as well. So uh, if you want to just go on, watch videos and participate, there's fitness, mindfulness, you know, choreography, activities, family, kids. I can't wait to send this to everyone I know. (laughs) Yeah, for (laughs) real. Thank you. Well, I love that. And um, now, Ali, I know that you, you, like Alex said, you speak so clearly, so um, eloquently, um, and so passionately, um, I know that uh, you also have of your leadership coaching business as well. Um, what? Let's talk about that overlap, um, that mm-hmm. intersection um, there, and how that is involved, or is it with Bust a Move? Mm, thank you. So yeah, so pretty much like I have a personal brand, and then a another brand. And I think just because I've had so much experience running a dance business, 
there were other people that wanted to know where my success came from, how I got to the point that I'm at. And I think speaking about them and speaking about my journey, it, it kind of makes sense that it's like, oh, this is the next progression um, of it. And I just really fell into the world of business coaching and leadership coaching from a really conscious and aligned place. So I have a Facebook group, it's called the Conscious Dance Leadership Collective, and I'm really passionate about conscious leadership. So approaching your business from a place of aligned action, um, 100% responsibility, uh, being able to understand what self-trust feels like, because at 17, like you said, there's a lot of flippancy, but there's also a lot of mistakes. And so I learned to trust myself be able to say no to things, be able to say yes to things, set my boundaries, ask for what I want. All of these skills that are just business skills. Um, And I think I've just had a lot of practice. So I love supporting other dance entrepreneurs in taking a conscious approach to their business. And, you know, my business coaching incorporates three pillars, which is passion, purpose, profit. Passion, obviously, I speak with it. Like, it's just, it oozes out of me. Um, Passion is just the thing that, like, oh, that thing that just, it feels so aligned and the thing that's come so naturally to you since, since, you know, uh, childhood. Um, But then that purpose part is, is the bridge between taking the thing that you're really good at, the thing that you love, the thing that lights you up and being in service, right? Like how can you take this thing and how can you then serve others, which is where profit as the third pillar comes into play because when you are in service to others, that's where you become sustainable. That's where the money comes. That's how you build a career within the dance industry is making sure that that purpose part and that service part is uh, a really core pillar. So take, yeah, that's, I can speak yeah, for and that makes, you just stop me. Yeah, <laughs> no, I could, I could hear you. I could hear you speak forever. And that is really, really true. I think some people only think about the profit part. So I, and I also love how you align that as profit yeah. being that it's that third pillar, but you have to have the other two, two. in order to have that's the third such pillar. a great visual yeah. for anyone in the dance industry or anyone that has a passion-based career, because we talk about it all the time on here, it's hard to find or justify profit if you don't understand your purpose, because all you're doing is like, but I love it and it makes me happy and I feel bad or I feel like I should do this. It's like, no, this is a, just because it's a passion doesn't discount that it's also a very specialized skill that also deserves structure, respect and profit. So I think that's really resonating with me. And I think anyone, whether it be dance or like, I don't know, woodcrafting, if you love it, (laughs) you're hesitant (laughs) to, to, to monetize it. Yeah. And the thing is the thing that connects the passion, like if you love dance and the thing that connects the profit is this, how can you be in service to others, whether or not you're being a dance artist and a touring dancer, what is the service part? Is it that you are, bringing joy? Is it that your performance is asking people to connect to an emotion of what you're doing? As a choreographer, are you creating stories to ask people to think deeper about their experience? As a teacher, obviously that's in service to others. How can you create safe dance spaces? As a director or a studio executive, how can you give opportunities to others? As a whatever it is, whatever career path you're taking within the dance industry, the purpose part is the thing that's greater than the dance industry. It's the Mm -hmm. thing that like 
it's the reason why you're here. And the dance industry is just the vehicle for it. But I mm. guarantee if you are a personal brand, if you are a dance entrepreneur, a business owner, and you want to create a profitable career, you must connect to something greater than you and connect to that purpose and be in service to others because that's what's going to create the sustainability. 100%. Oh my gosh. I, we have to do, let's commit to a part two, um, at some point. So hopefully like in the next few weeks, we can keep expanding on this because I think more people need, uh, need to be aware of it and aware of you and all of the amazing things that you have to uh, share with us. Um, but yeah, so people can stay up to date with you. Uh, what's the best way, Instagram, Facebook, Yes, Instagram is great. So my handle is at Ali Phillips, so A-L-I-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S dot official. And uh, my website, which is www.allyphillips.org. Instagram is a great place. Um, Join my Facebook group because it's all about connecting with other conscious dance leaders and entrepreneurs. Um, Yeah, I'm just such an open book as well. Send me a DM. Like, do not be afraid. Like, I love to chat clearly. Uh, so <laughs> message me, let's chat. And thank you for reaching out to us. Taylor and I always say to dancers, we're like, send that email. Even if you don't know, even if it's not getting opened or no one's going to read it, always send it. But I cannot thank you enough to, for reaching out to us because this is, it's really, really, really amazing. And it shows, um, just exactly what reaching out can do, but yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful for the platform and the opportunity to share my passion. It's I'm really grateful. Absolutely. We're so grateful to have gotten to know you a little bit better. Um, I'm so excited for part two, because I think we have a lot of good, good nuggets in there of, of bigger topics that I would love to expand on, but thank you so much for your time today, Allie. We really, really appreciate it. Um, And we wish you the best moving through the rest of this year and uh, look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you.